0: So, um, as you might remember, we've been praying for a different church in the Warsaw area every week and just trying to remind ourselves that we are all united as the body of Christ. We're all trying to reach the same area of the world, and we just want to be supportive of each other. So this week I am praying for Mission Point Community Church and Kondo Melissa Simpukwe specifically. I've known Kondo since I was 14 and Melissa since I was about 16 or 17. So they're very dear friends of ours and um, we love them very much. So I sent Kondo a text this week and I asked how we could pray for them. And he told me that Mission Point is going to be in the next week um, sitting down and doing some vision casting, planning for the future, possible restructuring, and really looking ahead. So he felt like it was perfect timing for us to be praying for them because they're really going through some big changes. Um, So that's what I'd like to ask you to pray for us with this morning. Pray for them throughout the week in your own personal prayer and devotion time. And just um, let's try to be all on the same team for reaching Warsaw for Christ. All right, So let's bow our heads and pray for Mission Point this morning. Lord, we all serve you, and we all love you. And I know that Mission Point specifically really has a mind and a heart to reach the area for you. Um, They don't want to keep doing church the same way and allowing things to be stale, but they want to be growing and active and a vital part of the community. They want to reach people that have never heard the name of Jesus before. So Lord, as they go into their planning this week, I pray that you give them wisdom, you give them clarity, that you would speak to them in a way that they've never heard you before and that they would be able to move forward with confidence knowing that they are perfectly in your will and in your hand. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Sorry, that was supposed to be a turkey. Um, I'll get to that in a minute, but I want to say good morning and introduce myself. I'm Nolan Jones. I lead the First Impressions team here, so the people that do the greeting and the coffee and the guest service table. Um, Just been excited to be a part of this church and what's been going on uh, with growing God's kingdom here, so the turkey. Um, You may have noticed there's a table outside room where all the little kids go right outside here to the right. And we have these little cards, and it's on the green card as well. Thanks, Mara, for putting these together. Uh, but we're going to be doing our Thanksgiving food drive again this year. We did it last year where we collected goods. On the back of the card is a list of goods that they need. And we partnered with our father's house and collect all these baskets. We collected 30 Thanksgiving meals last year for people within this community so we're starting it again. If you don't want to go pick up the groceries, just drop twenty dollars or twenty-five dollars in the uh, uh, the offering plate over the next coming weeks. But by November twelfth, we need to deliver everything to our father's house so that they can put everything together and provide those meals for families in need. Um, so that was the turkey. Uh, so before I get started today, I want to uh, have a example here. So I, I want to call forward a volunteer that I've volunteered for him, but uh, Jim Tharp, my father-in-law. And I called Jim forward because I know he trusts me. And so (laughs) I'm going to ask him to do a couple things and demonstrate his trust for me. So Jim, I'm going to ask you a few things, and if at any time you feel uncomfortable with what I'm asking to you, For you to do, just please walk back to your seat and sit down, okay? Uh, (laughs) Okay, so I got a ball. Um, Oh, shoot, actually, I don't have a ball. Uh, Fortunately, I I carry a pocket knife with me when I uh, preach on Sundays. So, what I'm going to ask you to do is just hold your hands out. And this is a real knife, okay? It's really sharp. I could drop it and stick it in the floor, but I won't. Uh, I'm going to close the knife because that'd be crazy. And ask you to stick out your hands and drop it in your hands, okay? Okay, so thanks for trusting me. All right, next step. Go ahead and hold on to this. I'm going to take a few steps back and go ahead and set that on your head. Yep, you got it. Okay, I'm going to open the knife and I'm going to throw it and I, I'm going to hit that water on top of your head, okay? Is this the example now where I'm going to sit down? If, if you don't trust me, then yes, go ahead and sit down. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Jim. I thought you trusted me. You did let me marry your daughter, by the way, so that hurts. Um, so what we saw there was, yeah, I know Jim trusts me, and there's different levels of trust when we talk about saying I trust you or I trust them. You know, what do we really mean? And it's one thing to trust somebody to drop something into your hands or do something easy, but it's another thing to to trust somebody with your life. So. Um, as you may have guessed, that's what the message is about today. It's about trust. And I want to focus specifically on what the Bible talks about trusting in God. Uh, so before, let's just like to bow our heads and, and start with prayer. Father, just let us feel your presence today. I just pray for the strength to deliver this message, your message, the way that you you need it to be delivered, Lord. I pray for the, the people here listening to it, that they, they have an open heart, and if, it's, if it speaks to them, Lord, that they be moved by it and, and feel the love that you have for them through it. In your son's name we pray, amen. So I want to start by reading from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And this is where we're going to focus today. And to explore the, the meaning and understanding of this verse and how it applies to us, we're going to answer three questions. So what does it mean to trust God specifically with all your heart? It's the first question. Number two is what prevents us from trusting God? And number three, what happens when we trust God? So let's start with the first question. What does it mean to trust God with all of your heart? So we say that a lot, don't we? You know, Honey, I, I love you with all my heart, or I promise with all my heart I didn't do it, or I, I will do this. But what does that mean? So let's, let's take our heart, for example. A, an organ about the size of your fist and the center of your chest that is so crucial for sustaining your life. It pumps blood to every other organ and every other appendage in your body that allows you to live. Arguably the most important organ we have in our bodies. But how much time do you spend thinking about your heart and what it does for you? I'd argue you probably spend more time worried about what your friend from high school's son ate for breakfast that morning that they posted on Facebook than what we actually think about our hearts doing It's just so crucial for our lives. And I'd argue it's because we've developed a trust in our hearts that it's going to do what it needs to do. And we don't have to think about it, tell it how fast it needs to beat or how often it needs to beat. It just does it on its own. And we don't even have to spend time searching for answers on how it works or why it works. We just trust that it does. So when we trust something with all of our heart, I believe it to mean that fear and worry do not cast doubts on us that we trust to be true or what will happen is or will be. Trusting with all of our heart means that we are free from fear and worry. But this is just my opinion. So let's look at the Bible for some answers to this question. So, I want to read from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, and this is the story about Jesus calming the storm. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. And now, stepping back real quick, the disciples and Jesus had been preaching to crowds all day long. They performed some miracles and uh, fed some people, and they're just getting ready to take a break and distance themselves from that crowd. So verse 36, so they took Jesus in a boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, to help us appreciate what was behind God's que- or Jesus' question to them in verse 40, Why are you afraid? I want to break this story down and look at it in terms of the environment that the disciples were in and then a little bit about the disciples themselves. So... Uh, Let's look at the environment first. So, there's a, a picture that I think does a great job portraying what was going on in this situation here. So, I want to draw out a few things. So, look at the boat. All 12 of the disciples are in the boat, including Jesus. So, 13 people. And at this point in time, you know, these boats were pretty common, it had both sails and oars to power across the lake. Um, and This would have been something that many of the disciples were probably familiar with, being that they were fishermen and used to being out on this body of water. And then think of the lake. So the lake they were crossing was the Sea of Galilee. And you can see it here in the next picture. Uh, There's just a small portion of the lake. And the geography of the area, we've got mountains all around the lake. Uh, The lake itself is, in comparison, 73 times larger than Winona Lake. So it's a total of 41,000 acres, massive lake. Um, and due to the surrounding mountains and the elevation of the lake much below, it wasn't uncommon for these sudden storms to come up and even bring up waves as big as 20 feet. So just look to your left, and you see this big red curtain. The top of that curtain is about 20 feet. So imagine you're sitting in a boat big enough for about 13 people, and this wave, which is probably on both sides, is about to come crashing in on your boat. I'm guessing you're going to be terrified. But again, the disciples were used to these storms coming up, and they knew about the risks of these waves. So for them to have been caught off guard is pretty impressive. And then, So number two, looking at the disciples themselves, the disciples had been with Jesus for some time. They knew who he was. They had heard him say a lot of parables, watched him perform a lot of miracles, and they knew what he was capable of doing. And he was in the boat with them. So for them to have been in such panic that knowing Jesus was with them there in the boat to freak out the way they did, I can only imagine how terrifying this was for them. And not to mention Jesus was sleeping during all this. So now that we have some background on the situation, let's look back at the story. So the disciples in all their fear decided they needed to wake Jesus up in order for him to save them from drowning. I get the impression that because Jesus was sleeping, the disciples acted like he wasn't even with them in the boat. And, you know, I think back to times in my life where storms arose, and I, I think we all do that sometimes. We know Jesus is there with us, but we don't acknowledge his presence because, in our, a lot of ways, we might perceive him as sleeping. And despite us knowing that God is omniscient, all knowing, everywhere present, And even knowing every hair on her head, just like us, the disciples were saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. But Jesus was there, and he was in control of the situation the whole time. So Jesus wakes up, calms the wind and the sea, and he says to his disciples in verse 40, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So I think by saying these two questions sequentially, I believe Jesus is declaring some relationship between fear, being afraid, and our faith. As one commentary puts it, the disciples demonstrated they had faith as shown by the fact they reached out to Jesus for help. But their faith was little, for they were afraid. Faith dispels fear, but only in proportion to its strength. In other words, the fear that we feel is inversely proportionate to our faith. Or more simply put, the amount of faith we have, the more faith we have, the less we'll fear. So where am I going with this? We're talking about trust today, not exactly faith. So what is the difference between faith and trust? To explain this, I'll read an excerpt from an article. Uh, it says, Many believers today often confuse having faith in God with trusting God. Faith is a noun. It is something you have or possess, a substance or evidence of things both hoped for and not seen, as stated in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith in God is, is confident belief that he is the sovereign creator of all things and that he can and will do what he claims. Trust, on the other hand, is a verb. It is something you do or act upon. Faith always comes first, and trust is never guaranteed. But it, it is a will, trust is a willful choice, a deliberate action that can only grow out of your faith. So in this passage from Mark we see that Jesus is equating the disciples' fear with their lack of faith. And we see in the comparison between faith and trust that through their fear, the disciples had even less trust in Jesus. So I think we can answer question number one. that Trusting in God with all of your heart means that you are without fear due to your unwavering confidence that God is with you no matter the circumstance. But that is not easy to do. In fact, I think it is truly impossible for us to trust God with all of our hearts unless we are able to give all of our hearts to him. I'm talking completely submit your life to God. We've read about it in the Bible. We understand the good news that God is righteous and he sent his son to the earth to die for us, for our sins. And if we confess with our mouths and our actions that Christ is the Lord and We know then that our lives will not only be transformed here on earth to desire to live like Christ and help spread his message, but through his death on the cross, we will be transformed for eternity to spend in heaven with him. And we know this, and so do the disciples. So why is it hard to trust God with all of our heart? So let's look at question number two. What prevents us from trusting God with all of our heart? And to answer this question, I think we need to look at our own human nature. As humans, I believe we're all wired with a desire for understanding, and most importantly, understanding why. Why why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me or her or that person? Or Why do things work the way they do? Why, why, why? Lots of questions. If you doubt me on this, just meet me after church, and I'll take you for a cruise in my van with my four-year-old son, and in a matter of five minutes, you'll have answered over a dozen "why" questions. And my oldest daughter, she's five, Anna. She already knows everything. People say that with sarcasm, but I have answered over a million questions. She is a very smart girl. And I know my two youngest daughters, Allie and Aubrey, are going to be the same way when they get that age. We are—we insp- are—it's just a, the, uh, a God-given instinct for us to desire to know why. And being a parent, have an opportunity to see this through both the lives of boys and girls, what God has given us, those instincts and desires that God has given us versus what kids learn from their parents. And any parent here knows that kids love to imitate them, both good things and, of course, bad things too. So children say things they don't understand because they heard their parents say it or they do things they don't understand because they saw their parents do it. And I can tell you with confidence that my kids did not learn from me to ask why a thousand times in a car. It's just something we are biologically inspired by God to know why. And as we get older, we still have those same instincts. We might not ask those why questions, but just look at the stock price at Google. It's a company worth over $110 billion because they can most quickly and accurately tell you why to all your gazillion why questions. But when it comes to life, things happen that make finding answers extremely difficult or even impossible. Answers to questions that even Google can't find. And I believe it is our inability to find answers that creates fear. And fear, as we previously discussed, inhibits our ability to trust. But we have a desire within, a desire with which each of us are born to understand the world around us. So how can we let go of this ability to understand and put our trust in God? So I'd like to share a personal experience of mine that I think will help us answer this question and see an example I think a lot of us can relate to that how our personal experiences can affect our trust in God by our desire to seek understanding. So I grew up in a Christian home. I knew that my dad had a very strong faith and he trusted in God. We, our family went to church every Sundays and to be honest, I hated it. My dad taught me about God and who Jesus was and that he loved all of us and he died on the cross for our sins so that we can go to heaven. And I wanted all that and I liked all that, but I didn't want to change my life because of the things in this world that I enjoyed so much. Basically, I decided I didn't need God. I believed that he still loved me, and he died for me, and by believing in him, I would go to heaven. But like, my teen, like many teenagers pretending that they know everything, I just ignored all that and wanted to pursue my selfish desires. So after high school, I went to college, met a beautiful girl, Rachel, and started dating her our sophomore year. And she dragged me back to church. And because I loved her so much, I went with her. The more serious our relationship got, the more I thought about my dad and how he acted as a husband and as a father and his relationship with God. And I was very blessed to have a dad like him. And he always talked to us about God and how important he is. My dad always acknowledged God for directing his life and the success he's had in his career. And simply put, my dad was the biggest role model I had. At that point in college, for the first time, I started to realize the value and the importance of having God in my life. And so that year in college, I started reading the Bible. And it wasn't the first time I did it, but it was the first time I was doing it out of a personal desire rather than feeling like it was something I had to do. And shortly after that, something happened in my dad's life that would change me forever. Eight years ago, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. A six-inch long organ near the stomach that helps digest food and control blood sugar levels is responsible for one of the most painful and deadly cancers in the world. My dad made it almost 12 months Terminally ill, he carried out the last twelve months of his life as the support structure for our family and for those around him, dealing with his prognosis. And it just always seemed strange that he, the one dying, was the one supporting those around him. But that was just the kind of dad he was, the kind of guy he was to everybody. He was a great example of what it meant to live like Christ. He didn't always get it right, but it was just proof that he was a sinner in need of God's mercy just like the rest of us, that through his faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that we will receive grace. My dad loved everyone. He cared for everyone. And he always put the needs of others before himself. But despite of how great a man he was, seven years ago, God brought my dad home to heaven. As I mentioned before, I just started this walk with God. So I was a bit clueless on where to begin, trying to figure out where my dad went wrong. I mean, after all, he suffered painfully and was dying, so he had to do something wrong, right? God wouldn't do that to good people. At least that's what I thought back then. During those last months of my dad's life, I searched everywhere for answers, trying to do what I'd been taught in my engineering classes at Purdue to, to seek understanding, and I looked in the Bible. I was trying to figure out how my dad, a man of such strong faith, was painfully dying. I was breaking apart, unable to find answers or understanding what went wrong for my dad. I spent months pouring out to God, demanding understanding. I was mad, I was angry, I was furious at God. Weary and hopeless, I was finally broken. I ran out of questions to ask and I just began to listen to God, hoping that he was going to give me some answers. And in God-like perfection, he did And the first verse I remember God revealing to me was Romans eight chapter 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to purpose for them. And after reading that, I thought, what? This doesn't make any sense. God, my dad loves you. How is this working together for good? This sucks. I don't understand. But I kept listening. And verse after verse and song after song... I was finally here and God start to reveal Himself to me. And that is when God shared with me Proverbs three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. God was telling me, forget your understanding. It does not matter. It is not relevant then I realized the things that happen in this world are not necessary for us to understand, not even the fate of my dad. And it forced me to submit to God those things beyond my understanding, to trust in God and rely only on him. It was like God was telling me the same things I tell my kids when they're afraid. Don't worry, sweetie, don't be afraid. Daddy's got you. And those words pierced my soul with unmeasurable power. And I realized to this point in my life, I had been relying on my dad for guidance. I had put my faith and trust in my dad, not God. And my dad was about to die. And it hurt. I felt like I was about to live life alone without my wise advisor. With my dad around, I felt like I'd been living on this solid ground without any fear of falling. But with his terminal prognosis, that solid ground was soon coming to an end. And I found myself standing there on the edge of this bottomless cliff. I had a big decision to make. I could turn around and find new solid ground or I could trust in God alone. And for the first time during those last months of my dad's life, I thanked him for the circumstances. I thanked him that my dad was dying. It didn't make sense to me, but I thanked him for all of it, everything that was going on. I thanked him for using such a painful and emotional and heart-wrenching experience such as this to draw me and others closer to God. For giving me a clarity I had never before understood, a reliance, a submission, a trust in God alone, and I began to see my life change. Passionately driven to love and live like Christ. So rather than turning back from the edge of that cliff, I jumped off with confidence, knowing that God, the same God who was going to bring an end to my dad's suffering forever, was using my dad's experience for his glory, just like he had said he would do in Romans. God was using this experience to draw me and others with whom my dad had relationships closer to God. And as I, I had the confidence that as I jumped off that cliff, God was going to catch me and direct my paths, and He did, and He is doing that still today. And I believe that's why I'm standing up here, sharing this message that God has given me with you all: to trust with you, or to trust and tell you that if you are experiencing storms in your life, or have put your trust in things of this world other than God. If you are searching for understanding for your current circumstances or still holding on to that from past experiences that you need to stop, your understanding will not change a single thing. There is so much joy and happiness amidst some of the darkest times you can possibly imagine if you just put your trust in God and forget your understanding. And God will direct your paths. And the emotion I have up here today is, is painful, but it is the joy of the experience of drawing near to God that brings the most emotion out of me when I think of this experience with my dad. And I want to be clear that I'm not telling you that this trust relationship in God is going to make the pain and hurt go away, because it won't. But there is so much joy through these storms when we put our trust in God? So I think we can answer question two, that what prevents us from trusting in God is our desire for understanding. If you don't yet believe me that putting your trust in God is worth it all, let's look at what the Bible shows us is possible when we put our trust in God. So question three, what happens when we trust God with all of our heart? So John 21, verse 15 through 19 this is after Jesus has been resurrected and has appeared to the disciples. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord Peter, Jesus said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time, he had, or sorry, and take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death He would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, Follow me. Did you catch that? Jesus gave Peter a guarantee that he was going to die a painful death for following him. And guess what Peter did? He did it. And we read on in verse in John 21 that Peter reveals his human nature through all this regarding the fate that Jesus just shared with him. And I, I find this rather humorous because I think I can relate to Peter. But in verse 21, after Jesus told Peter he will die, Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him? And he's pointing to John, the disciple who people believe was Jesus' favorite. He's often referred to as the disciple Jesus loved. And you know, having, Peter just denying Jesus three times you know, has this guilt inside him that, oh, my goodness, maybe Jesus is going to kill me for following him because I denied him three times. And, you know, let me figure out what's going to happen to the best one. And, you know, can, maybe we'll, we'll see what I, what, uh, how much Jesus likes me or if I, this is suffering I'm going through. Uh, so regardless of why, Jesus, in verse 22, responds to Peter when Peter asked him, what about him? He said, if I want him to remain alive until my return, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. In his response to Peter, Jesus is addressing the whole point of Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He's telling Peter, your understanding doesn't matter. Why on earth would anyone follow someone who said, oh, come, follow me, let's go do something, but oh, by the way, you're going to die and it's going to be painful. But again, Peter did. He followed Jesus and just so you know peter was crucified for his faith but chose to do so upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way that jesus christ did so why did peter accept jesus's offer because jesus or because peter because peter trusted jesus with all of his heart peter was without fear due to his unwavering confidence that god was with him no matter the circumstances Peter said yes to Jesus. And look at what God was able to accomplish through him. We read all about Peter in the book of Acts, and he was one of the greatest instruments in starting the first churches and spreading the the gospel to people all around the world. And he wasn't the only one doing amazing things. We could give a whole separate message about what Paul was able to accomplish through his trust in God. In fact, most of, the apostles, most of the apostles suffered greatly for following Jesus, and most were martyred for their faith. The lives of these people and many others in the Bible are proof that when we trust God with all of our heart and stop searching for understanding, that God will direct our path, and our lives will be for Him. So I think we can answer question three: What happens when we trust in God? And God will direct our paths and our lives will be for him. Can you imagine this world if we had the faith and trust in God that Peter did? When you consider the fate Peter was given, isn't it sad that so many times we choose not to trust God because we're afraid of what others might think of us? or we're afraid how they're going to respond or what it might do to our career or we're afraid of it might ruin a relationship or offending someone or not being politically correct and the list goes on lots of excuses too many times we pass up helping someone because it's inconvenient for us we choose not to share the gospel or pray with someone because we know we don't know what to say or how that person's going to react too many times I think we look at our circumstances and demand understanding from God. We're going through troubles in our life and we say, why God? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Why is that person experiencing those things? Why not that person? Whatever the situation, we can get angry, we get mad and frustrated with God because we don't understand why. But the scripture is declared, do not worry about these things. Do not rely on your own understanding." We need to put our trust with all of our heart in the gracious and merciful God of this universe. I'm gonna close by reading something from Romans chapter 10, verse nine through 15 that I think brings this whole message to one point. In chapter nine, Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. I want to invite you all to stand right now. And as the worship team comes back up, I believe there's lots of us here in this room today that have gone through a similar experience that I did. We're holding on to your desire, your need to understand something that is affecting your relationship with God and affecting what God is able to do through you. If that is you, I encourage you during this song just pray for the Holy Spirit to come through you and release that burden of understanding. It will not change anything. And when you let go of that, you will experience joy and peace in God and see His will work through you in your life. And maybe it's a friend you know I just ask that you encourage them through that time, whatever it may be. And I also wanna ask that if, if some of the, the notes in this message about salvation are new to you or you wanna know more about what that means, pray about that and I encourage all of you to come forward during this next song. There's gonna be a ministry team up here. I'm gonna stay up here. We wanna pray for you whatever it might be for God to work his kingdom in our lives. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the message that you have shared with us today about trusting in you and you alone. Lord, move the hearts of the people here today to to step away from their understanding. And have that desire and trust in you, Lord, that you will do great things through them if we can just believe and trust in you with all we have. And that through that trust and belief in you, Lord, there's so much joy and greatness, eternal life after death through your son, Jesus Christ, having taken all the burdens of our sin away from us and put on him. And you love us so much, Lord, and desire us to be near to you and are calling all of us to serve you in unique ways and in different different areas and places. Lord, I just pray that the hearts of the people in here, just if they need more from you, that they come forward today and, and receive prayer. And we ask these things in your son's name, we pray, Lord.